Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And it is Friday. That means it is time for another classic episode. And this episode, published on January 2nd, 2013. It is also Chris Paulette's final episode as a co-host of Tech Stuff. Uh, Chris and I created Tech Stuff back in 2008, and in 2013, he decided to step away from the show to focus on other things. And um, he definitely put his imprint on Tech Stuff. Tech Stuff would not be the show it is without Chris Paulette. This was the topic he decided he wanted to cover as his final episode. The wonderful wizard named Woz, Steve Wozniak. Hope you guys enjoy. The curtain sweeps down. The spotlight goes out on our beloved Chris Paulette. It is his final Tech Stuff episode. This is not a joke. We may eventually be able to get him back on as a guest, but he's is this is his, his final episode as a, a host of Tech Stuff, and uh, and he got to choose whatever topic he wanted. Uh, unfortunately, almost all of them were ones we had already covered. <laughs> well, actually, it surprised me that we didn't have a podcast on the person that we wanted to talk about today. Yeah, um, yeah. We, uh, we've mentioned him in several podcasts. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, yeah. Definitely we, one of Tech's more colorful characters. Right. And that, that of course, is the, the wonderful wizard named Woz. Yes. Steve Wozniak. Wozniak. Mm-hmm. Stephen Gary Wozniak. Yeah. Um, one of the co-founders of Apple. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. born in uh, on August 11th, 1950. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came from... A family that was technologically inclined. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, His dad was an engineer at a little company called Lockheed Martin. I feel like I've heard of that company somewhere. And, uh, and yeah, he, um, as a, as a kid, he became very interested in engineering and electronics. Mm -hmm. Uh, did you, did you hear about what his favorite book series was that kind of inspired him? No, actually, I don't think I did. It was the, uh, I, I looked at a lot of interviews. He's actually, if you've never seen an interview with Wozniak, he's a very animated individual. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well-spoken, very passionate about what he does. It's clear that he truly enjoys technology. Like, yeah. Like, there's no irony there. He just loves it. And um, though he doesn't necessarily love all the things that we do with technology or the way that companies handle technology, he's not, he actually is not so bi- not such a big fan of big companies. Yeah. But we'll get into that. Uh, but no, as a kid, his favorite book series was uh, the Tom Swift series. Ah, uh, yes. So uh, Tom Swift, if you don't know, he's a young man who was a, a kind of an engineer who could build just about anything. He had his own company. He would fight evil and and solve mysteries and things of that nature. And in fact, uh, just as a tangent, Tom Swift plays a role in a in a totally different technology. It has nothing to do with Wozniak. Can, do you do you happen to know what? Uh, Tom Swift. It's actually his. Tom Swift's name is lent in a way to this technology. Really? Yeah. It's Taser. Oh, oh, oh! Right. Taser stands. Taser's no. technically an acronym. It stands for Thomas A. Swift's Electric Rifle. <laughs> you know, I think we mentioned that a long time ago when we talked about the Taser. Yeah, I think so. But uh, yeah, he in an interview he credited the Tom Swift books as 
igniting his imagination at the uh, the idea of creating things like electronics and being able to have kind of you know the equivalent of these adventures and having a dad who was an uh, engineer at Lockheed Martin didn't hurt because it turned out he had a really good person to go to when those science fairs came up in elementary school well yeah yeah and uh it certainly wouldn't have hurt his interest in technology to have a family that understood and supported those interests too they go oh you know hey yeah this is something i like too so you know but yeah. uh yep we should uh Stop clowning around, he said foolishly. <laughs> Sorry, that was a, a Tom Swifty. Nice. He's a he's a yeah. He had a he had, he credited his dad and uh, some of his teachers in elementary school as really inspiring him. Essentially, he said that uh, you know when he started to excel at science, uh, the teachers responded, and that just drove him to make even more accomplishments in that area. So by the time he was in sixth grade, he actually built a a, pr- a fairly primitive, but a working computer yeah. that could play tic-tac-toe. And, you know, we all know from the documentary War Games that it's just a short hop, skip, and a jump from tic-tac-toe to thermonuclear war. Of course. You know. You know. Shall we play a game? Thanks, Whopper. <laughs> hey, nice. You remembered the name and everything. Oh, uh, yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I've, I've, I've watched that documentary several times. <laughs> so, the, the old cup modems where you actually had to uh, put the, um, the the phone in a cradle. The phone in a cradle. And I'm sure, uh, actually, Waz probably remembers those days, too. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll get into that a little bit, too. Yeah. <laughs> Waz has also got a bit of a mischievous streak in him. Um, a bit? Uh, yeah. A bit of a mischievous streak? That was a, a bit of an understatement. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. Well, in sixth grade, he also got his ham radio license. So, obviously, he was very much interested in electronics and technology and communication, uh, all of these things would play a very large role in his choices further down the line. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, according to Waz, he said he never took any courses on building electronics or computers. He just uh, learned how to do that all on his own, at least at least in the elementary and high school years. Yeah. Uh, once you get to college, he actually was pursuing originally, uh, uh, when, he, when he first enrolled, he was pursuing a, a degree in uh, electrical engineering and computer science. Um, at the University of California at Berkeley. Yeah, and that's that's sort of a lesson for all of us. You know, um, sometimes programming and, and fiddling with electronics and those kinds of things can seem really daunting, and it feels like, you know, you start dabbling in it, and it feels like you need a degree in computer science or uh, uh, electrical engineering to do these things. You don't. Uh, you just have to have an interest and, and get the right right place to start. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it also helps to uh, surround yourself with an other fellow enthusiasts. Yeah, and it didn't hurt that, that Waz is, is, is categorically a genius in certain arenas. So <laughs> that gave him a leg up as well. But yeah. Details, details. Yeah, while, while in, while in uh, uh, both in high school and in college, he began to associate with other people who were really interested in electronics and technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he was part of a homebrew computer club. Yes, that would be the homebrew computer yes. club. Yeah, back back in the, uh, the mid-'70s... Um, was was at the uh, University of California at Berkeley, um, and uh, he was um, uh, he was interested in attending this uh, this nearby computer club, the Homebrew Computer Club, and uh, there were actually quite a few people 
of note who are part of this. Yeah. Um, but they were interested in, uh, before we get into the details of that kind of thing, the, this group was really kind of interested in what you could do with computers because uh, in the mid-1970s, we weren't talking about uh, machines like the Apple II where you had a monitor sitting on top of a computer with a keyboard and you would program stuff. I mean, we were, uh, they were interested in, in large part in things like the Altair, which had no monitor. Right. Uh, you, you would read, um, the, the output of this device by the blinking lights, or, you know, in German, das blinken light. Yes. As yes. many, uh, many, many jokes have gone. But really, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't something that the average person would probably be likely in picking up simply because there was kind of an, uh, a barrier of entry. It was hard to understand for people who were, sort of passingly interested in it. And we talked about the IBMs and the machines that corporate customers would use, where you had punch cards and, and you know, printing and large storage devices and things like that. Well, yeah, I mean, th- those were far more easy in some ways to understand because there were more uh, ways to interact with those machines, but they were also hugely expensive yeah. and took up a lot more space than something like the Altair. This is the, the kind of device that got people thinking, you know, I, I could have a computer in my house. I could do things with a computer. I could program this thing. This this could be fun. What could I do with this? Yeah. And that's really what this group was all about. And there were other people uh, interested in this as well, like you know, a guy named Jobs. Yeah. And I yeah. believe uh, <clears throat> a couple guys named uh, Alan and Gates to yeah. uh, show up in the, yeah. the logs. And there were there were other people who interacted with all of those guys that, that floated in and out of that culture out there in, in California around that time. Yeah, yeah, this is this is the birth of the personal computer age. I mean, we're talking about the the very early days and uh, and you know of course Wozniak plays a very large role in that. But it, it also uh, he had other interests in, in finding out how stuff works, which you know we can appreciate. Yep. Um, like the phone system. Oh yeah. He was he he was known to engage in a little phone freaking now and then. Yep. Uh, we actually have talked about phone freaking in the past. Uh, essentially, what phone freaking was was finding out how the telephone system worked and then uh, exploiting that knowledge by being able to uh, to create things that would allow you to make free phone calls. Um, usually, uh, it would involve recreating a certain kind of tone. Yes. That the 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 phone would then um, not recognize the fact that you were dialing. It wouldn't register that, so it would act as if the line had not been engaged. Whereas you could actually make the call uh, for free. So um, there were a lot of different kits that you could do this with. There, of course, was the 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 famous uh, 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 whistle. Yes, uh, the the Captain Crunch whistle, where you could uh, whistle into a phone, and uh, with this particular toy whistle that came in the cereal, and uh, it would recreate the exact pitch you needed in order to, uh, to to hack the phone system. That changed before too long, and they had to start uh, creating electronic devices that could uh, generate. Normally, it would be two tones together to be able to uh, to actually hack into a phone system. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, if if you haven't done any research into into phone freaking or listened to the podcast from man, that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Um, basically, the the deal was that they they had the system in place so that the the phone company could uh, do maintenance work, and the phone technicians out in the field could use these certain codes. Um, in the case of of one of them, it was a, a high E played three times, yeah. and that would unlock the system. 
Uh, it was a very analog system at that point. And, uh, you know, they, the phone company actually published the information on this in their Bell Technical Journal, which was available at your local library. And certain people figured this out. And, and a whistle, this is famous because a, a famous phone freaker named Captain Crunch is named that because he realized that the toy whistle that you found in a box of cereal... I'll let you guess which brand. Um, Lucky Charms. Yes, exactly. How how did you know? Um, You could you could play exactly that note. That's all you needed. You all all you had to do was know the the code and have that whistle. Um, And of course, Bell went nuts trying to get the that copy of the Technical Journal back uh, off the shelves. That's when they realized that this was a mistake to let that information uh, get outside the door of Bell. Yeah. That was not not a great move. Well, we published this. You're not supposed to want to read about it. Yeah, it, um, but, but people who were interested in electronics, I mean, clearly something as complex as the telephone uh, system would be fascinating to them, and that included people like Wozniak. Yes, absolutely, and uh, uh, it's it's famous that um, he and Steve Jobs were actually building phone freaking systems for other people. Yeah, um, and and trying to sell them. Uh, which they did, uh, right. on a small scale. Yeah, and that which kind of well, set the ground for for their future endeavors together. They he actually did withdraw from the University of California before completing his degree, and began to work for uh, Hewlett Packard. Yep, and uh, was a an, an engineer there. He actually worked specifically on designing calculators. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Jobs kind of came up with this idea now, but. When you talk about Jobs and Wozniak, they had very different roles when in those early days of Apple. Yes. Right? Steve Jobs was an idea guy. He was a business guy and he was a marketing guy. Most yeah. More than anything else, he was a marketing genius. Yeah. yeah. I've been reading Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs, and I'm still not quite done with it yet, but uh, I, I have passed through the early stages of Apple through there. And uh, apparently when they were working on the Apple One... Which was a, a very basic uh, computer. Um, as a matter of fact, it had a, the the very early machines weren't really machines. They were a set of uh, boards, yeah. basically motherboards and, yeah. and pieces that you would assemble into a case and use it as a computer. Um, which sold for, as uh, Jonathan likes to point out, the sum of six hundred sixty-six dollars and sixty-six cents. That's because. Wozniak likes repeating digits. Yeah, apparently. Uh, well, according to them. Uh, it had nothing to do with the uh, symbolic nature of this in uh, in religion. Right. It was There's more no be- theological reason. Yeah, there was no, but it's hard to imagine that it. Uh, it's an Apple computer. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, of course. They also say that Apple was chosen for other reasons than the. Uh, yeah, that's funny because because uh, Wozniak said that he had just guessed at some point that the reason why Steve Jobs wanted to call the company Apple was that Steve Jobs had worked for a while at an orchard in either Washington or Oregon, and that that perhaps gave him the idea, which may or may not be the case. Because he said the thing about Jobs was that he would come up with ideas, but not necessarily explain to you how he came up with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. We also should point out that there was this time. In Jobs' life, where he was uh, expanding his consciousness a little bit. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Jobs attended uh, Reed College up in Oregon and uh, did not finish there, yeah. but um, was was very interested in a number of things, including 
expanding one's horizons to the use of chemical substances. Yes, that's Which a I, very, very diplomatic way of putting it. That's, uh, that's yeah. not... I don't get the sense that, that Waz is interested in that. I think he likes to expand his consciousness through technological means. Which, again, shows that difference. Jobs was this marketer, and Wozniak was the engineer. He was the guy who was really designing the technology. Yeah. And, and, uh, well, that was, no, that was actually exactly my point, was that according to the Isaacson story, um, uh, Waz wanted to give away the design for the original boards for the Apple One. And Jobs said, no, 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 we could sell this thing. We could make a company. And uh, that intrigued Waz just enough to go, oh, okay, yeah, let's give it a try. Yeah, yeah, because before, at, at the Homebrew Computer Club, Wozniak would distribute designs that he would come up with for for computer kits. Yeah. He would design them on paper, and then he would just distribute copies of it to the other members. And Jobs was getting to the point where he's like, you know, if we didn't give these away for free, I bet people would pay for them. And so, uh, yeah, he he convinced Wozniak to go in with him on a, a venture together, and this was the idea of uh, Apple. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't easy. Um, you know, Wozniak was a little reticent to leave HP. I mean, well, you think about it. If you were if your buddy is telling you, "Hey, let's go start a company," meanwhile you're in with a very strong technology company, and you're you know you got a good job, it's secure. And it's like, well, on on the one hand, you got the allure of of you know this opportunity to do something really cool, but hey, you know, yeah. there's not a lot of security in it. Starting and, your own company can be a challenge, and it can be a lot of work, and it can be scary. Yeah, and, and at first, there's no guarantee, he, right? At first, he did continue to work with HP. He didn't yeah. quit immediately. No, and in fact, uh, one of the stories about founding Apple is that they had to, in order to raise the capital they needed which was not that much by today's standards. I mean, even if you were to convert it into today's dollars, they, they, it was a fairly low investment. In fact, that was one of the things that Steve Jobs was able to, to use to convince Wozniak to try it, was because the investment was not going to be prohibitively large. Right. Uh, but it still required that they raise some capital, and uh, they did it by selling off stuff that they owned. And Wozniak sold off his beloved scientific calculator. Yes, which at the time was... Uh pretty hot piece of technology. Yeah, for around something something to the tune of around $500 at the yeah. time, which, you know, in the 70s, that's, that's a, I mean, it's still a good chunk of change, right? But yeah. it's, it was even more so back then. And uh, uh, the interesting thing to me was that when I read a, a, an interview, uh, a more recent interview, Wozniak really downplayed that. He said, yeah. he said uh, well, here's the thing. I was still technically working for HP, and because I worked for HP, I could buy the next new calculator before it came out and at a lower price than I did the older calculator. So, uh, so I thought even if this company that I'm working on with Jobs goes belly up, I still um, I still have the protection of working for this other company, and I can get my calculator back. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, which is an important part of context that I think a lot of people miss. Um, but yeah, um, the the Apple One did reasonably well within those circles, and they started working on the Apple Two. Mm-hmm. Um, Jobs, play, I mean, Jobs played a, a good part in the in getting it into stores, but Wozniak had a lot to do with the back end of that machine. Yeah, um, especially the the uh, the basic language implement implementation. There yeah. we go. He he was unfamiliar with basic at first and uh, uh which is kind of funny. It's funny. It's he also was good with hard but not with basic. Yeah. 
It's also funny that he got really uh, – he started to really study the basic uh, version that HP uses, which is not the same as the basic language that, that Bill Gates was uh, working on. Yeah. So – um, it was he, he was coming at it from a different uh, approach because he was you know I think at the time he was actually working under the assumption that it was essentially the same thing but it turned out it was two different uh, versions of basic two yeah. two pretty significant different versions uh, also I should point out so so they founded Apple in 1976 and oh, right. it wasn't it, it was just 1977 when Apple II came out right so that that first Apple we should really point out. It was more like a, almost like a run of prototypes. It was, they, they only made a small, yeah. a relatively small number of these, because for one thing, they didn't know how big the demand was going to be. They knew that their fellow computer enthusiasts would enjoy this kind of thing because they also shared the vision that computers would one day be an integral part of our lives. Right. But at the time, the average person, like the average consumer, didn't necessarily have any desire or need for a computer, or at least they didn't think they did. Right, and uh, and so it was it was definitely a, not a sure thing when they were first getting started. But 1977, the Apple II comes out, and uh, I think uh, I think you could describe its success as being meteoric. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, um, that's one of the reasons that Wozniak says that uh, he worked so hard on the basic. Uh, um, structure for the 6502 microprocessor yep. was was simply that he realized that BASIC was going to be a, a big help to people who were going to adopt these. And he wanted people to understand that computers could play a significant role in their personal lives. And so he said, you know, this is, you know, I, I basically hunkered down to do this because I knew this was going to be important. And that's that's something that you see when you look at at Steve Wozniak's career is that he obviously uh, he's willing to put his uh, his back into it and yeah. really work on something that he is very passionate about, like this. Um, the very other, you know, there were other things too. He, he talks about having to uh, write the the disk operating software yep. for the the earlier machines, and he didn't. This was not something that he uh, was familiar with. Yeah, he had never really used magnetic storage like that. But he made it work. Yep. Because he knew it was important. Um, not that, not not to discount other people all over the world who do this every day. But I'm saying, you know, as we are looking at Steve Wozniak, this is uh, technology is is clearly part of his DNA, yeah. and it's it he he needs to to make it work. One of the things that I read about him too in the Isaacson um, biography of Jobs was that uh, um, apparently he he was just really good at. Finding innovative solutions to the challenges that that came up while they were creating the actual machines, he, his engineering expertise—it's more than just—it's uh, sort of like a virtuoso in a musical instrument. You have people who can play the instrument, uh, but there are very few people that can that can pick it up and do something really brilliant with it that you wouldn't expect to do because they don't teach this. It's just a thing that you sort of innately have. Yeah, yeah. and apparently he is. He just got that um, ability to to look at a technology and, and know how it works and go, well, you know what? I know this isn't working this way. Just for kicks, let's plug this in this way and see if that works. Yeah, he, he had a real interesting attitude, too. He said that, you know, in general, like in a broad stroke, he said if he could build a machine that had 200 chips in it, 
He would then look at that design and say, how can I build a machine that does the exact same thing this thing does, but with 150 chips? And he would do it. And then after that, he'd say, okay, well, how can I build a machine that does all the things this machine does, but only with 100 chips? And just continuously refine that design so that it was more and more elegant and more efficient in each iteration. That was sort of his thought process, which is, you know, that's a good thing. Well, it's funny you should mention that because there, there is another story that uh, uh, Jobs and Wozniak are working together at Atari to develop a game machine. Now, I don't think Wozniak was, at, if my memory serves, it's been a few days since I've read that. Uh, if memory serves, Wozniak wasn't actually working for Atari. Mm-hmm. Um, Jobs actually kind of uh, convinced him to work on this project. But they uh, they were supposed to, they were trying to, to create this machine, and the challenge was, it's like, hey, you know, if you can do this with, uh, fewer chips in this time period, we'll go ahead and go with this idea. So Jobs knew that Wozniak had the, the expertise to make it work, and he did. The, the point of doing this uh, was to save money because these chips were not cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the fewer components that you could use on the circuit board, the more money you could save in doing that and make the project more cost-efficient in the end. And uh, thanks to Woz, they actually made it work. Of course, uh, they're known for Breakout. Right. The two of them both worked on Breakout, um, which is a classic Atari game. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that paid off both uh, on that project and their work they did for Apple because they would continually revise the design to make it, to make it more cost-efficient and make it more effective because Waz is one of those people that believes that um, technology should be accessible to people. Yeah, um, that's crazy. I was going to say, well, you might say, well, hey, uh, Apple is known for having high-priced computers. What are you talking about? High-priced computers and closed systems. Yes. Two things that you would imagine would be antithetical to that philosophy. Well, that's true. and uh, But I would argue that um, we need to take a look at the exit of Wozniak from Apple because um, a lot of that – did not surround the Apple II. The Apple II was a very affordable machine, which yeah. is why it ended up in a lot of people's homes and a lot of schools. Yeah. So in order to get there, we need to we need to to get back to like about well 1980s when Apple went public. Yes. And uh, that was of course a big event. Chris and I will have more to say about the Waz in just a moment, but first let's take a quick break. And 1981 was a huge year for Wozniak in both triumph and tragedy. Yes. Uh, in 1981, he returned to uh, UC Berkeley to finish out his degree in electrical engineering and computer science under an assumed name. I, I would also guess that he probably cruised through a lot of that. Probably, yeah. The fact that he, the fact that the, there may have been uh, courses that were referring to his own work <laughs> might have might have done that. But also that year, he um, well, he, he Wozniak's a man who has a lot of different interests, and one of those was uh, uh, piloting airplanes. Yes, and he owned his own private airplane at this point because Apple very quickly was a huge success. You know, it launched in 1976, and by 1981, he had enough to have his own private plane. Yes. And he was piloting his private plane and crashed while trying to take off at the Santa Cruz Sky Park. Yes. And it was a pretty serious crash, and he was very badly hurt yes. in, that, in, that, uh, in that accident. 
Yeah, I suffered from amnesia for quite some time yeah. after that. Yeah, he had a lot of different injuries, memory loss. It took about two years of rehabilitation for him to get back to how he was before the accident. Uh, but around that time, the Apple II was really starting to become a true success story, like a huge success story yeah. uh, in personal computing. And uh, And by 1983... So this is just a couple years after Apple's gone public, three years after Apple's gone public. It was value, the company was valued at $985 million if you looked at its stock. Like yes. If you were to value the company by how much stock was out there and the price that the stock was trading at. So just under a billion dollars. And again, the company's not even 10 years old yet. So, you know, Wozniak's work was really starting to pay off for the company and for Wozniak at the time. Yep. He also, uh, in addition to this, while he was going through his recovery period, got involved in another one of his passions, which is music. Yes. Uh, hosted the now infamous Us Festivals in California, um, which were both, were, which were known for being huge. I mean, very, very large events. Think of, uh, um, things like, um, um, you know, Lollapalooza now or yeah. Lilith Fair. I mean, kinds uh, events like that. Where you're really giants. dating yourself. I know I am, but <laughs> but I don't go to large outdoor events like that uh, or the Us Festival. <laughs> well, yeah, but they did have a diverse line of of different let's, kinds of let's music. Let's say Coachella. There. Yes, actually, okay. they were they were sort of in competition in in to some degree because Coachella had been had been out for many years, more than a decade. Yeah. out in California. Um, uh, but they, uh, it was sort of a blend of technology and music, which makes me think more of South by Southwest that's now yeah, yeah. Than, than that. But at that time, that's not the kind of events that were going on. They were more, I think, inspired uh, from the m- many years earlier Woodstock and, and events like that, where it was just the uh, large outdoor uh, music festivals. But they were also known for extravagance. Um, you know, there were some artists like uh, uh, Van Halen and, and David Bowie who were taking home uh, more than a million dollars in early 82 and 83, the early 80s, I mean, um, and which were tremendous sums of money at that point. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, I think, regarded by a lot of people now, the US Festival is sort of a, a sort of a punchline to a joke, although I'm not sure what the setup would be. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that it was completely unsuccessful. I just think that uh, it was sort of a tribute to Waz's generosity and the fact that I mean, he paid people really, uh, you know, generous sums of money. But I think he was just having a good time with a lot of people. Yeah, he also took this time to start getting into uh, philanthropy. Yes. He began to really invest specifically in the education system near his own home. He began to uh, to help uh, schools get computers and training on how to use the computers. He was very enthusiastic at fostering education, uh, which is no surprise considering you know his father had helped him, and, and he does credit his... You know, several teachers went in his elementary school days as really being the inspiration for him to pursue his interests. So it's not a big surprise that he wanted to to kind of pay it forward yeah. and and do that on uh, himself. So he began to do that, and uh, in fact, his his contributions to technology and philanthropy 
led up to him receiving the uh, award, the, the National Medal of Technology in 1985. He was yes. awarded that by the United States president, who at the time was Ronald Reagan, and uh, received that. And it's the highest honor bestowed on America's inventors and innovators. Yes, the award has come up several times over the course of tech stuff. Um, you know, probably Waz is one of the people we would actually have heard of. Yeah. Um, they were, Waz and Jobs were sort of rock stars in the early 80s. Yeah. Because of the, the, the prominence of the Apple II. Um, and, you know, there were, there were cover stories on magazines, business magazines, uh, and, uh, and news magazines about these guys. They were, they were sort of well known. Of course, Jobs is a little bit more, uh, outspoken. He's known as the, um, you know, more the, the marketing face of the company, especially um, recently, but even back then in the, in the early days of the company. Um, as technology went on at, at Apple, though, as, as things started to change and they started focusing on uh, diversifying the lines, um, was, you know, was sort of not as integral to the, the uh, creation of machines like the Apple III, the Lisa, and the Macintosh like he had been with the Apple II. And I think that was partially due, of course, to the, uh, to the accident and the need for his recovery. He just, he just wasn't as, um, as um, available during that time as he would have done otherwise. Yeah, and then um, in, by 1985, big changes were happening at Apple. Uh, the biggest was that Steve Jobs left the company yes. in 1985. And that, depending on how you define it, he was either fired because he was having some really nasty uh, conflicts with the with Apple's board of directors. Yes. Or he was just marginalized to the point where he just stopped showing up to work. Um, but really, I mean, it, it, essentially they kept giving him a, a, de, a, a smaller role over time and yes. distancing him, Steve Jobs that is, yes. away from the main operations of Apple. And so Steve Jobs left in 1985. Uh, Wozniak stuck around with Apple for a couple more years. He would not leave the company until 1987. Yes, and to some degree, he still holds a consulting role with the company today. Yes, um, his and he he left the company, but uh, Apple still. I, I I guess it's safe to say they never completely severed their relationship. Although he doesn't go into work there, right? Like he used to. Um, and he's and you wouldn't necessarily call him an Apple evangelist either. I mean, he says in frequent interviews he will say, or, or frequently in interviews I should say, he will say he loves Apple. But yeah. at the same time, he is not shy to criticize Apple for things that he views as as uh, um, as, uh, as as failures or as mistakes. Yeah, he, he is very. He's known for being very honest and very upfront. And just uh, you know, giving his opinion, he's a straight shooter when it comes to that, and not in necessarily a mean way, right. but very matter of fact. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Actually, uh, when he started to work on some other projects, the one of the first was uh, CL9, yes. which was a company that uh, was known for uh, creating the first programmable universal remote. Yep, and so this again shows that Wozniak's interest in electronics was still very, very high. He just, I think Wozniak's one of those guys who really likes to find a new challenge, and you know, once he's done that, once he's managed to to accomplish whatever that challenge is, then he's ready to move on to the next one. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, again, 
from listening to him talk, I would say that that's just one of those things he really values is the idea of innovation, research and development, building new stuff, and not just making constant improvements over older technology. In fact, that might have been one of the reasons why he left Apple was that he was starting to see Apple turn into this company that was more interested in releasing uh, uh, incremental updates to its technology rather than truly innovating and building something that's really cool. And in fact, that's that's a criticism that he has leveled recently at Apple over the last few years, saying that Apple seems to be content to release new versions of truly innovative and amazing products. You know, he loves things like the iPad and the iPhone and all that. He, he thinks those are great. But what he doesn't think is great is that Apple seems to be content to just give updates to those products rather than try and create something wholly new. Now, that may not be completely fair. There may be some things developing at Apple about which we know nothing that could blow our minds any day now like the Apple TV that we keep on hoping will come out. But, you know, that, that, the, the perception that Wozniak has is that uh, Apple's not currently really in that innovative space. In fact, recently he said that Microsoft was showing more of that sort of innovative approach. doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a success for Microsoft, but he was saying that, you know, Windows 8, Windows Phone 8, the Surface tablet, all of that was kind of, Pointing, it was such a radical departure from the stuff that Microsoft had been doing that it was a much more innovative approach than what Apple was currently doing. Right, right. Well, um, you know, he uh, he ended up butting heads with CL9 with Apple. Um, he was trying to contract the uh, design firm Frog Design uh, to get uh, the the product designed for him, and Apple had brought uh, Frog Design to. California with the idea that they were going to be their designers, their product designers. And Apple said, no, uh, you cannot do that. That was part of their, their, uh, their, um, contract with them. Um, but yeah, he, he very much, uh, you know, had an idea because he knew that these guys were, were innovators in the way things looked and felt. Um, so it doesn't surprise me much that, that was likes, um, the kinds of products that Apple comes out with, but, uh, you know, they they had a similar design sense, but uh, Apple did not appreciate that at the time. Um, oh, and uh, we didn't mention, but, uh, well, it's probably, looking at the timeline here, um, probably should mention some of the other things that he got into over the sure. years. Of course, he's been a, um, a speaker um, for many, many years now, including dating back to that, that time. He was uh, uh, sort of a... Uh, a coveted personality for um, keynotes and different kinds of addresses. Uh, and uh, he, he started several companies. CL9 was just one of them. Uh, Wheels of Zeus was one of my favorites. Yes, the acronym Wheels of Zeus is? Was. Yep. In, uh, in 2001, and that was back uh, in the early days of uh, trying to come up with uses for GPS. Yeah, the idea being that if you could have a wireless GPS uh, uh, network, then you would be able to locate stuff. Really? That was one of his ideas. He said he wanted to help people be able to locate things. Yes. All right. That was, yeah. So, yeah, and was, or as in Wheels of Zeus, not Wozniak, but uh, Wheels of Zeus uh, lasted for about five years. It, it closed up in 2006. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, um, and uh, he, in 1990, uh, 
going back a bit. Sorry, sorry, sorry about that. No, 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 it's fine. I just wanted to mention, you know, being a co-founder of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Ah, uh, yes. I mean, this is huge. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, or EFF, is an organization that advocates for openness and freedom on the Internet, in the computer world. They are also known for doing things like helping uh, provide legal assistance to hackers that are being pursued by uh, by government officials or, or you know by law enforcement, they're known for helping out uh, uh, folks who might otherwise be seen as troublemakers. Um, but it's really all about promoting the freedom of information and the the trying to keep as as much of the uh, the manipulation or uh, or or um, the just, just trying to keep the government out of controlling technology in all its forms. Mainly, it tends over the last several years, it tends to mostly be about the internet, but it's it goes beyond that. Yeah, yeah, and it, they they are uh, very interested in uh, you know privacy issues, yes. uh, issues uh, n- not to uh, not to protect what you might call black hat hackers, right? Um, but more to give people the opportunity to. Uh, control their technology lives a little bit more openly and and do more with it rather than having that spoken for for them. Yeah, Wozniak has has really come across as someone who who wants the individual to have as much control and say in that sort of thing, and less of that should go to things like corporations and governments. So, uh, you know, this it, it's obvious why he would want to co-found an organization like the EFF. And in 2000, he was inducted into the Inventors Hall of Fame and also received the Heinz Award for Technology, the Economy, and Employment. Yes, I wanted to mention the Heinz Award, uh, so I'm glad you did that. And it's not the Heinz Doofenshmirtz Award. No. Curse you, Barry the Platypus! <laughs> We've got a little bit further to go with Chris Paulette's final episode as a co-host of Tech Stuff. But before we get to that sad moment, let's take another quick break. This is a period, um, the early 2000s, where we kind of didn't hear a lot from him. I mean, he's not the kind of person that... that um, you read about in the society pages so much. Yeah, until, although, until the late 2000s. Well, you know, making appearances on shows like Kathy Griffin, My Life on the D-List. Yeah, he was dating her at the time. Yes, yes. Um, he's also been on uh, The Big Bang Theory. And, of course, Dancing with the Stars. Cutting a rug on a Segway. Yes, yes. He, uh, uh, he... Showed I, I watched some of that, and I have to admit he showed a tremendous sense of humor about yeah. being on that show. Um, and uh, he, he's as a dancer, he is a really incredible programmer. Nice, um, an excellent compliment. And uh, I am neither, so I really can't talk. But I will, I will say the, that. But I think you would probably agree. Um, yeah, he, uh, uh, yeah, he, he seemed to really kind of have fun with his own. You know, public persona. Yeah. Uh, although he's not, you know, he's not like a a celebrity in the sense of jumping out and trying to attract attention. That doesn't seem to really be his, his style. He's even been known, like on on launch days, for Apple products to go and wait in line at an Apple store. Yeah. There was one story where uh, he, I, I remember it was it was one of the early iPhones. I want to say where uh, he was walking 
to the Apple store to go get in line, and then he got ushered in to the front of the line, and he actually felt badly about it. Yeah. Because he was like, you know, he didn't feel that he should necessarily be treated any differently than any other customer. Um and but but a lot of people who were in line are like, dude, that's Wozniak. He can totally go in. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would imagine that that he has enough of a following where you know there there would be a certain amount of tolerance among the other uh, shoppers that day. Yeah. Um, he's also known, of course, over over time to uh, be a, a rather. Uh, <laughs> playful prankster of sorts. Uh, he's famed, of course, for many different stunts with $2 bills. Um, I have actually uh, tried to pass $2 bills, which are completely legal yes, and, they, and have people confused by them because you don't see them all the time, which, right. of course, lends itself to Waz's sort of sense of humor. Now, you can buy, as he will point out, complete sheets of $1, $2, and $5 bills from the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. Mm-hmm. You can get a sheet of, uh, an uncut sheet of bills. They're completely legal. They just haven't been cut apart. In fact, they're perforated. So he has been known to buy sheets of these, you know, separate them, and have them laminated into a pad, and go in and buy stuff, and peel off a series of $2 bills, which are, of course, are you know, numbered sequentially, it's very weird. Two dollar <laughs> bills are weird to begin with. Yeah, and then you add that it looks like this guy just peeled off money and and handed it to me. Am I supposed to take it? Uh, apparently, he he's been to Vegas and tried this stunt and had uh, security people come and. Uh, Charlie, talk to him. Talk to him about exactly what's going. I've I've encountered Vegas security. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> and of course, it, if it were me. I would be sweating. Yeah, like, but no, Wozniak there's just laughs illegal. about it. He he keeps doing. Really, I didn't know that that the government doesn't you know make these uh, perforated bills available. Really, I bought these from some guy. Yeah, what, what's great is that uh, I wouldn't have had the nerve. I, I, I should also point out that while two dollar bills are unusual here in the United States, in other places there are two dollar coins. Oh yeah. So for our friends in Canada. Canadia? Your, 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 yes, and our friends in Canadia, your toonies are very adorable. I like toonies. I actually do like toonies. I like loonies and toonies. Yes, I agree. Um, if you would like to send me loonies and toonies, do so at the How Stuff Works address, care of Jonathan Strickland. <laughs> Kids, go check your parents. <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but yeah, what you were talking about, about uh, innovation and openness and technology, he has recently, as of the time we're recording this in late, uh, 2012, uh, been photographed in front of the large uh, different versions of Google Androids with yep. Android people, and people go, it's the Apple co-founder in front of the Android Androids. Well, yeah, because he he tries pretty much everything. Yeah, he He's actually, a com- computer omnivore. He actually says that he will, you know, he lo- he loves technology and he loves gadgets. Doesn't doesn't necessarily love what corporations are doing or what governments are doing, but he loves the technology and he spe- specifically I had an hour and a half of sleep last night, folks. I went and watched The Hobbit. Anyway, uh, so he specifically uh, really likes uh, platforms that are, are, are that allow you to do lots of stuff, yeah. right? Mhm. So the Android platform 
gives a lot of flexibility to users. It's something that can be overwhelming to someone who's not necessarily an enthusiast. Yeah. But for someone who really likes hacking and getting their, their hands dirty with uh, technology, uh, the Android platform is very attractive because it's – you can make a lot of changes yourself, yeah. you know, and and Google uh, facilitates that. And depending on which handset manufacturer and which uh, carrier you're with, it may or may not be very easy to do. But he also says he likes to try everything because he doesn't want to form a uh, a. a a prejudice against any particular platform without giving it a real fair shot. And so he goes out, when a new phone comes out, he'll go out and buy it. So often, like, I've seen pictures of what Wozniak was carrying on a given day, and it's usually something like five or six smartphones, and then maybe a tablet, and then maybe two computers. It's like, you figure it's got to be around 50 pounds of technology at least. Yeah, it uh, it kind of reminds me of... Uh the uh, 90s version of Dilbert where he used to have the uh, gadget utility belt. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually knew some people like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I used to try and do that, but then my pants kept falling down. Dude, looking like a fool with the pants on the ground. I was, in fact. Uh, yeah, so um, uh, currently he's working at uh, Fu- Fusion IO or Fusion EO. Fusion EO? <laughs> What's well, Fusion Dash IO uh, as a chief scientist, and that's a, the the company is a data storage and server company. So uh, he's he's currently that's you know his technical job title at the moment, but he does do a lot of uh, speaking events, and you know you'll still see him at things like uh, TED conferences and uh, other big events where you know they they need to have someone there who who really knows the ins and outs of technology, who is truly uh, an advocate for technology uh, for the consumer and who just, you know, he's just very passionate and loves to share that with other people. That's, yeah, he that's, really does. It's a great couple of qualities to have. Like, there are a lot of people who are really passionate about what they do, but they don't necessarily communicate that or share that with people. But Wozniak seems like, you know, you would have to tie him down for him not to, to, to be uh, ebullient over his love of tech. Yeah, it's uh, from from just about all accounts I've read about about Steve Wozniak. He's he's not the kind of person who uh, who hides his emotions very well. He's uh, he's excited about a lot of stuff, and when he is, he you know he shares that with you. Um, I, I should say that he he doesn't hide his uh, his excitement for technology very well because he's. Uh, he, he's really gregarious when it comes to that. He may not be necessarily outspoken about his personal life as much, uh, or or want to jump into the spotlight. But uh, if you ran into him and he had 15 minutes to talk about some kind of technology with you, I, I don't think it would be much of a stretch. Based on again, I, I've never met him, but uh, if you wanted to strike up a conversation with him about virtually any kind of technology, I don't think he would turn you down. Yeah. Or if he did, he would do it politely. Yes. Well, he seems like just a just a great guy. He does. He does. I would be very interested to talk with him, except I would be intimidated that oh, he yeah. would discover that I'm a complete idiot within like two minutes of chatting with me. Well, I mean, it, it doesn't take the rest of us that long. Well, you know, maybe <laughs> I'm hoping that he would just have a lot of optimism. <laughs> <laughs> and that wraps up this classic episode of Tech Stuff. Uh, once again, I want to thank Chris Paulette for the amazing work he did. I mean, you know, we're six years past almost seven years past when this happened. 
and uh, he's still very much a part of Tech Stuff's culture. Uh, the puns, I would argue, are Chris Paulette's contribution to this show. I love puns, but I wasn't really known for making them in the show quite like Chris was. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, please reach out and let me know. The email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com, or you can drop a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle at both of those is techstuffhsw. Go to our website. That's techstuffpodcast.com. You will find a link to the archive of every episode we've ever published. You will also find a link to our online store where every purchase you make goes to help the show, and we greatly appreciate it. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 